Hello. Um, yeah, so the Kingdom of God series has been really wonderful. Give me a shout if you've been enjoying it. It has been really great, hasn't it? And this is the final talk, but it's not the end. It's just the beginning, the end of the beginning. Let's get it right. <laughs> As we start to act this out more, I'm sure we've been doing it anyway, but living this out more. And I love the Kingdom of God. and I love talking about it because, because it changes everything. So the kingdom of God is like a bubble. Bear with me. But bubbles are so captivating, aren't they? They're, they're so colorful. I, I love their, that they're so round, so fragile, and yet they kind of, they, they go off so high. Imagine we were inside the bubble and the beautiful hues, how everything would be impacted by that color and it would, would change it. But also, I imagine, being in the bubble, the sphere would change the way things look as well. It would distort it. And it's like that with God's kingdom, that he brings color to everything and he gives a different perspective. Um, So we had a lovely hour with the bubble man at the church weekend away, which was so fun. And I unashamedly, I think, enjoyed it as much as the kids. And I don't think I was the only adult. Um, But if you see this bubble here, you can see all the colours on this side. But where it's coming out from the wand, you can barely see it. It's almost invisible. And the kingdom of God is like that too. At times and in places, it hasn't come fully. um, But it doesn't mean that it's not there. I love this picture. The kids are chasing it, kind of full of abandon, joy and freedom. And um, those are fruits of the kingdom. Um, and it's worth chasing after. This one's a bit sneaky because actually the kids are reaching up to try and pop the bubbles. But it looks like their arms are in the air praising God. And when the kingdom comes, it will result in the praise of God. But if we're familiar with the story of the lepers, ten are healed, only one comes back to worship God. Um, so it's not always going to be the result for everybody. But that's not our problem. The Pharisees one time um, tried to get Jesus to stop the disciples praising God. And he said, well, I can stop them, but then the rocks will praise. We'll shout out in praise. So the kingdom coming results in praise of God. So this um, talk is a continuation, really, of Johnny's last week. He was um, talking about extending the kingdom across cultures and across languages. And I'm going to start with a story um, from Central Asia. Okay, so I first met Myram when she was watching from her garden as we moved into the house next door. Um, She looked intrigued that foreigners would move into a small village um, in Central Asia, where she lived. The second time I met her, I asked if I could take her photograph because I needed a picture of a pregnant local woman to promote discussions in the health project that we were working in. Fairly confused, she said yes. Um, And although she wasn't the most outwardly friendly, chatty person, there was an invite from her household to to go and drink tea with them whenever we liked. And I frequently took them up on this offer. Um, But it would take quite a lot to go. um, And I would have to pray and ask Jesus to help me to go. And then through the whole process, much like this morning, praying before coming here, I had to pray that God would help me, help me with my language, help me to understand. I would pray that she would have grace for my many language mistakes and cultural faux pas. 
Um, and she did. She was so gracious towards me. And over the months, our friendship grew and my language developed. So fast forward a year or so, and um, I became pregnant with Hetty. And Myram was thrilled for me, but I, I was aware that also there was likely to be sorrow in her heart. And as I go through the story, I realize it might touch on people's pain here. And I just want to say that at the end, there will be an opportunity for you to come up and pray. And we would love to do that with you. But I imagined her sorrow would be because um, she had the baby that she was pregnant with when I took the photo, but subsequently had a miscarriage. Um, But weeks went on, months even, and she fell pregnant as well. And we were so excited because we were best friends by now and we were going to have our babies together. And the prospect of that was quite exciting. And then I popped round her house one time as I did, and she was there sweeping with her short-handled broom, um, but not looking so well. And when I asked her what was going on, she said, oh, well, I'm cramping and I'm bleeding. I said, oh, well, you need to rest. Come on, lie down. And she said, oh, no, I need to do my chores. I said, well, let's go to the hospital. And she said, no, I don't have any money. Um, so I did as any friend would do. And I said, OK, well, lie down and look, I'll do your chores for you. Um, but I had a bit of di- a dilemma as I offered to do that because I knew that in so doing, I could really shame the family who had welcomed us into the community, into the very heart of their family. Um, But I knew that in this moment, this is what I needed to do for her. So there I was sweeping, and who should come in but her husband. And what seemed like a very long, awkward moment as he looked at me, and he looked at her, and he looked back at me in kind of surprised horror. And I simply said, she needs to rest. And um, I have no idea what played out as I finished up and, and went back home afterwards. But I do know they let me take her to the hospital later in the day. And um, when, they, when we were at the hospital and they were confirming that she'd lost the baby, she wept, as you would. And instead of offering words of comfort, they said to her, oh, well, you have a boy and you have a girl. Like, why are you crying? Um, well, of course, she was crying. And it was a huge loss for her. And um, I was able to cry with her <laughs> and pray with her and, and walk that road out with her. And so we came home to the UK. We had Hetty and we returned when she was quite little and life went on. And um, more time passed and Myron became pregnant again. And this time she had popped round to my house to see what was going on and I was busy sweeping. It's a common theme for women in Central Asia and my life there. Um, And again, she didn't look so great. She said, it's happening again. I'm cramping and I'm bleeding. And um, yeah, so I said, oh, well, I know it's happened before, but I do believe that God can heal and God wants to heal. And I said, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, they're praying people. That's no surprise. I said, and I wanted to make it really clear. She knew, but I wanted to make it really clear. I'm going to pray to Jesus as Lord. And she said, yes. And that was remarkable because she had a Lord um, and it wasn't Jesus. Um, So I prayed. I don't remember exactly, but for comfort and strength. But I spoke healing and life to her body and to that little baby. And nothing remarkable happened in that moment. And we drank tea. But the bleeding did stop. And she carried the baby to full term. And she went into labor. And they rang us in the middle of the night and said, can we have your car to go to the hospital? And we said, yes. And they rang us at 2.30 in the morning and said, we've had a baby girl. And it was so wonderful. And we were so thankful to God. And um, what's so wonderful as well was that just a month or so ago, Johnny was able to return 
five years on and um, spend time with this dear family and others and spend time with the little girl, the little miracle girl, who he said was just so full of joy. So what an amazing... Thank you. Amazing answer to prayer. So... I'm gonna, we're going to look at the story of the woman at the well together. This is one of Johnny's favourite passages. He didn't have time to go into it in depth last week, so hence I'm here. <laughs> but I love it too. There's so much to gain from it. But we're going to be looking at it in terms of um, looking at the example that Jesus gives us of how, how we can bring in his kingdom um, to individuals and partner with him to extend his kingdom. So I've used this book to help us to have a greater understanding of the cultural context of the time. It's a favourite of mine. I really recommend it. Um, And so I'm going to read through the passage and then just expand on it a little bit as we go. So the passage is um, John 4, roughly 3 to 30, and I'm using the Passion Translation. Um, But so we know from... Before we go that... Know from wider in the Gospels that Jesus often prayed. He prayed in community with his disciples, but he often withdrew for lonely, long times of prayer. And um, I'll come back to that in a bit. So, So Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee. And he had to pass through the Samaritan territory. Well, actually, he didn't have to pass through the Samaritan territory. There was two ways that he could have gone. And most pious Jews would have chosen to go the much longer way to avoid Samaria. Um, There was a 500-year history history of um, um, hostility between the Samaritans and the Jews. Um, So people would avoid it. And I think Jesus' times, this is just me, times of prayer enabled him to lay down that cultural baggage to even consider going through Samaria because it was such a big deal. So Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food for it was already afternoon. So tired, hot, and thirsty, he sits on the well, and he does something very unusual. He sends his disciples off with the bucket. So I think Johnny touched on this last week, but um, in those days, there wasn't a bucket with the wells. Everybody would travel with a bucket so that you could draw your water. And even more importantly, for the Jews going to a Gentile and unclean country, they would want their own bucket so that they didn't have to touch anything that others had touched. So Jesus is hot and thirsty, wanting a drink, but he sends his disciples away with his only way of getting a drink. He puts himself in a position of need of someone else's help. So the creator of heaven and earth has encased himself in a human body and is experiencing all the fatigue and thirst of someone who's walked far and high in the heat, and he now genuinely needs someone to help him to have a drink. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to me, said to her, give me a drink of water. Um, so this is pretty radical um, and very surprising. Um, but I 
haven't got there yet. So I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, but everybody loves to help, don't they? Um, Leo, our two-year-old, loves to help everything. It's like, help, help. And that doesn't leave us, does it? Everybody wants to be able to contribute something. And Jesus knows this. He has come as the ultimate help. But he demonstrates here and in so many other places in the gospel that real connection comes when we ask for help. When we were in Central Asia, we went and, and were working on development projects. So in a sense, we were offering help. But we made a conscious choice that whenever possible, we would ask for the, the locals' help, for knowledge or for you know, even a scythe. We needed a scythe to cut the grass. We could have gone out and bought one, but instead we went to the neighbour and said, could we borrow, them, borrow one? And we really noticed when we started to do that, relationships started to deepen. Availing us, ourselves to the help of others is a conduit to the kingdom of God coming. So what he does next, spoiler, is shocking. He asks for a drink of water from this woman. In so doing, he breaks so many rules. First of all, he's talking to a woman. So Jews were encouraged not to talk to their wives in public, not even to talk to them very much at home because women would drag you down. Um, so first of all, he's talking to a woman. Secondly, um, she's a Gentile woman. And as we said, um, Jews needed to stay clean. They had all these ritual cleanings, like I would want to stay clean if I had to do all those things. Um, so they did whatever they could. And so talking to a Gentile would also bring risk of, of becoming unclean. Um, but also, Jesus would have read the, the cultural um, context of the situation. So it's, it's midday, it's hot sun, and this woman has come to draw drink, draw water. Sorry. Um, and that's hard, heavy, hot work. And women would usually do that in the cool of the morning and the cool of the evening. And they would do it with others, one for community to chat and, and have company, but two for protection. This woman has come on her own in the heat of the day. She is clearly a woman who has been ostracized from her community for whatever reason. And tradition would dictate that um, Jesus should have backed off from the well 20 yards or so, so that he didn't even, he didn't kind of scare her perhaps, but also he didn't um, have any need to exchange or associate with her. But he's sitting on the well. When I imagine this, um, in, yeah, so Jesus cared more for the woman than for the conventions of the time. And if we want to be conduits of God's love, we need to see the individual before us and care more for them than for what is socially comfortable. And when I imagine this encounter, um, I imagine it to be seriously awkward. And if we want to be part of bringing God's kingdom, it's not always going to be awkward, but I think we need to accept that sometimes it's just going to be awkward at first. So she's surprised and responds, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Well, quite. So Jesus replied, here we go. If only you knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give to you living water. So remember, Jesus has ignored um, this huge history of hostile relationships in order to talk to the woman. She then responds, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and this well is very deep. So where do you find living water? Do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself, along with his children and livestock? So really, her response would mean something like, this is our well, not yours. Jacob gave it to us, not to you. 
Who are you without your bucket to offer me water? Well, Jesus chooses to ignore her antagonism and her nationalism. And he answers, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and we will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. I think there's a good lesson for us here um, to not to rise. So we've all had these exchanges where someone kind of is a bit angsty when you're telling them something about Jesus. And, um, and you know, we feel the need to defend it or pride gets in there or some other thing. But but Jesus just ignored that and he carried on with this incredible truth that he's offering to her. Um, and then, and, I, and this, this verse is just amazing, isn't it? For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. Well, let's remember also to um, keep asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it's being filled with the Holy Spirit and sensitive to it that we'll become more like Jesus and do the things that he did. What happens next is really cool. Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said, for you've been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. Jesus has a word of knowledge. Remember at the beginning of the story, we're reminded of Jesus being fully human, hot, tired, thirsty, um, and needing help. But here he has a word of insight, a gift from the Holy Spirit to share and to connect with this woman. We too are fully human. And yet when we ask Jesus into our lives, Holy Spirit comes and lives in our hearts. And we too can ask for words of knowledge to speak into the lives of those we're sharing with. So here we have another awkward moment. The woman said, oh, you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do your fathers worship God here on the nearby, um, why do our fathers worship God here on the nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship, which is right. There's still some angst in her approach and she's, um, she's been exposed, hasn't she, through this word um, and is feeling probably vulnerable and she's trying to derail the conversation with religion. And I'm wondering if anyone's experienced that as well. So when you're having a conversation, it gets a little bit vulnerable and, um, and they deflect and move the conversation on. Well, I love how Jesus continues. Believe me, dear woman, not with judgment for the sin exposed or frustration at her deflection, but with amazing truth that blows her worldview completely out of the water and radically invites her into relationship with God. So he responds, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. And remember, he's talking to a woman, in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshipping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere worshippers who worship and adore him in the realms of spirit and in truth. He makes it clear 
that she, a non-Jewish, sinful woman, is invited into relationship with God, and that it doesn't matter where she worships, but how her heart is. He invites her into relationship with him, and at the same time declares that all people, no matter what their gender, their ethnicity, their previous religion, religious beliefs, or their way of life, are invited to have the relationship with him. This is good news. Um, so the text continues there. I'm, I'm going to skip forward, but you can read it as we go. So the rest of the exchange is so powerful. As Jesus spells out to her who he is, she believes, and the disciples come back for another awkward moment where they're like, oh, you're talking to a woman. Um, but we're going to skip to the end where the woman drops her jar of water and runs back in the hot sun to the community from which she's been ostracized, shouting to them, come and meet a man I met at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the anointed one we have been waiting for. And the people came streaming. This woman is understandably so moved that she has to tell others. She's touched by God and she wants to share the truth. This is evangelism. Jesus and the disciples then spend time in the village um, teaching people about God. And it's so wonderful. I love this, that she's gone to the village and she's told them, and the first person they get to hear from is someone from their own community, albeit ostracized, but someone of their own people. And it's such a, a beautiful thing when um, someone gets to hear the good news from someone they identify with or in their own heart language. Now, it's wonderful when people go to live in far-off places and very necessary because in some of those places, Jesus has never been heard as being Lord. And we had the privilege of doing this. But whilst we were there, one of our, some of our most frequent prayers were, um, God, let your kingdom come. God, let these people know that Jesus is Lord. And would you send back the few believers from these people who have moved away to come back and share with their own people? And we saw an answer to this prayer several um, people from the region came back to share the good news with their fellow brothers and sisters, but at the risk of persecution. So yeah, such an amazing story. Go home, read it again, and um, take it all in and read to the end. Sorry to rush there. But um, yeah, you would have seen as we went through the slides, kind of there was a title for some of them. And just to really summarize, the kingdom in action um, needs a foundation of prayer, both individual and corporate. We need to go out of our way to need the help of others, not in a patronizing way, but to, to, to live in that community, each sharing the gifts um, and resources that we have. Rather than rising to antagonism, speaking truth with love, responding to the individual instead of the cultural norm, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and exercise the gifts that he gives us and get used to feeling awkward sometimes. So um, I'm going to finish by playing a video. Um, this is one that Johnny has used in many trainings over the years and is just really powerful. Um, and so thank you for listening.